Welcome to Film History, the history of film. I'm James. And I'm Drake. And I'm Devin. And we're the host of Film History, the history of film. Each week, we take a deep dive into some old Hollywood history that you've probably never heard about. But it's not like your high school film class. We're cracking jokes and we're taking shots of whiskey the whole way through. It's history told our way for all audiences, from the ill-informed to the savants of cinema. Yeah, we tell you about James Cagney almost getting his head blown off because, well, you know, back in the 30s, you were allowed to just shoot machine guns at your leading man. And wait until you hear the episode about Waterworld. Or how the world's first vampire movie was made by real occultists and some Nazis. And there's plenty more little-known Hollywood lore out there, legends and facts. So if you join us every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts, I promise it'll be a good time. Yeah, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. Just look for Film History. The History of Film! Welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. This week I have for you a story from a book that was sent to me by Dark Owl Publishing. If that name rings a bell, it's because they're the same company who published The Dark Walk Forward by John S. McFarland, author of The Little Dead Thing and Mal Ardent. Both had their own episodes. This time around, this is a new-to-the-show author named Laura J. Campbell. Laura has published over 45 short stories, two novels, and she won the 2007 James B. Baker Award for short stories, so I'm very honored that I received a copy of this book. Each story has a little note before it from Laura, some with insight into why she wrote the story, giving her work a very personal touch. For this week's story, Laura had this to say. Sometimes, a place can breathe a story into my mind. That was the case with this story. I grew up in the El Lago, Kima area, back when the astronauts were still in residence, and you could still buy shrimp straight off the back of the returning shrimp boats. From the Garden was inspired by a small stretch of reportedly haunted beach. I found that area more peaceful than restless. I incorporated settings I knew in this story, the chicken restaurant I worked at, the university I attended when I received my bachelor's degree in biological sciences and my master's degree in chemistry. In that year, 2006, submissions were still paper manuscripts sent through the mail with a stamped, self-addressed envelope. That meant standing in line or using kiosk machines at the post office to get the return postage correct. And waiting for that envelope to come back in the mail, it took months. About a decade later, Almost everything is electronic. There are online submission services, and files are simply attached and sent off. Sometimes replies come back within a day. It makes me wonder where we will be in another decade or two. Now, without further ado, this is From the Garden. Thank you. 
The restaurant closed at 11. Kelly, ever the gentleman, walked Amelia to her car. His night was still going strong, late hours meaning little to his youthful years. Amelia drove home, navigating the dark, quiet roads. The April night was cool and sweet. The wind blew faithfully off the bay. Amelia went down Toddville Road, quite a distance, spacious homes gracing the street, some putting brave faces toward the gulf. True, it flooded from time to time, and hurricanes occasionally crossed this path, but the street remained grand and enviable. She turned past the El Hardin subdivision, onto the hidden plot of land her husband Peter and she called home. The pebbled driveway crackled beneath her tires, rocky popcorn noises filling the air. A small string of Malibu lights guided her car, like a short, narrow runway. Crawdads built little chimneys in the ground, pushing up the grayish-brown clay as they excavated. Cicadas sung in the trees. Large golden orb weavers slung webs between trees, their spotted yellow bodies suspended in space. The perpetually lit porch light gave off its garish glare. The high-powered outdoor spotlights illuminated the ground immediately around the house. Inside, the lights were off, leaving the house itself a pool of darkness, enshrouded by the circle of light. Once inside, she flipped on as many lights as she could quickly illuminate, as if radiance alone was her protector. Peter was not inside. She went through the house and then stepped out onto the little square, barren concrete patio. It was the last logical place to look. Peter sat in the lawn chair, staring at ten rocks he had collected. They ranged from a pebble to a small rock, organized in increasing size. Peter? He looked up at her, eyes vacant and unfathomable. How was work? Fine. What are you doing out here? I found the stones. What stones? The ones that are singing to me. It reminded her of a long-gone past. Once upon a time, Peter had looked vacant and contemplative a lot, but in those days his eyes had been reddened with marijuana smoke. Tonight, his eyes were sparkling clear. These rocks sing to you? Time had taught her patience, indulgence, and non-judgmental listening. The pebble sings about when I was just born. Things I don't remember. Things I, I never knew. He leaned forward slightly. that my mother used to sing to me when I was a baby. She had a pretty voice. She made up the songs as she sang them, never sang the same exact song twice. A wince crossed his countenance. God, I miss that woman. Amelia approached to comfort him, and as she got closer, she gasped. Peter's body was covered in bites, 
Mosquito bitches had made him their blood meal, seeking to lay their eggs later in the shallow puddles of dank water that littered the area. His skin was covered in the raised reddish welts of the wheel and flare reaction to the insect's bites. Peter, you've been eaten alive, she said. She grabbed an arm, pulling him off the chair and into the house. She secured the doors and doused him in calamine lotion, turning his skin chalky pink. He looked outside at the line of rocks. I really had it made when I was a kid. Most of us did, she replied. Have you eaten? I'll fix you something to eat. Thanks, but I'm not hungry. I think I'll just go to bed. I want to dream while my memories are fresh. She watched him climb the small staircase to the second floor. Good night, she said. He didn't seem to hear her. Peter slept soundly, which was rare. Whatever lullabies he had heard dragged him down into a deep slumber. The next morning, he was up before she was, which was even rarer, ever since his accident at the petrochemical plant years before. He slept in late. With nowhere to go, he had lost interest in getting up early to not go there. Amelia readied herself for work and made coffee. Peter sat outside, gazing into the woods, his finger tapping the beat of a song she could not hear. Do you want some coffee? She called out. A big mug of milky brown java already prepared for him. No. How about some breakfast? I'm not hungry, he said. I'm fasting. It cleanses the mind, cleanses the soul. There was a local doctor who used to recommend fasting as a frontline treatment for just about everything. Did you know that? No. Where did you hear that? One of the rocks told me. She put the cup by him. I'll leave it here in case you change your mind, she said. You have to eat something and put some sunscreen and bug spray on. Do you itch? No. I work 10 to 8 today. I'll bring you something back. She started off for work. As she drove, it dawned on her that she had stopped offering to bring food back years ago. He usually asked, she usually resented the reminder, that she was the sole breadwinner. At work, she concentrated on her duties, temporarily forgetting Peter and his sudden odd obsessions. Kelly was there, working with the garden in front of the restaurant. Kelly was tall, red-haired, and muscularly wiry in that way only southern boys seem to be. Landscaping suits him, Amelia thought, not feeling her age for a fleeting moment. He struck the soil at the base of a trellis, making sharp little cuts in the soil with the edge of a shovel. The purple flowers of the vine that climbed the trellis trembled with every stab. He came inside when he was finished mopping the sweat off his brow with the back of his arm. 
Amelia watched him pour himself a large Delaware punch, the sweet red liquid filling the cup. What were you doing? She asked, making conversation. His scent filled the air. He smells like a healthy man should, she thought. Like Peter never did. Root pruning. It makes the wisteria think it's dying. It blooms better then. He finished his drink. Excuse me, ma'am. I have mulching to do before it gets too hot. No sense in putting off what can't be done later. Amelia watched him as he went back outside. Kelly worked throughout the afternoon, catching the eyes of the ladies as they went by. To get a better look, they stopped by the small restaurant, ordering fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and diet sodas. Saving calories where I can, more than one explained. Amelia understood the philosophy. She practiced it herself. Her mind drifted to Peter as she worked, imagining him sitting at home, hearing rocks and stones singing to him. She figured it must be old drugs being freed from the fatty tissues, his latest delusion. Her family and friends had stopped coming around after they eloped. No one wanted anything to do with Peter. He was rough, and his drug use dissuaded gentle company. After his accident, his discretionary funds evaporated. He went cold turkey from the drugs, and any acquaintances he had had from that lifestyle moved on to better-paying friendships. Amelia dropped out of college to support them. She had always promised herself that she would go back to school one day, get her degree, qualify for something other than a minimum wage job. But it had never happened. That goal was always something that would happen next year. It was all she could do to pay the bills with what she earned. All the outside contacts she had now revolved around her job at the little chicken restaurant. And that complement of contacts was forever rotating as the younger kids who worked there moved on to better things. Kelly quaffed down another mouthful of punch, taking a break. He pulled out a book from his work bag and began to read. What are you studying? Psych, he answered. It's an elective. What's your major? Business, he answered. Something that will keep me working inside an air-conditioned building. Not in this heat and humidity. I was a psych major. Really? What happened? I got married. Had to support my man. I guess it was tougher back then, he offered. Back then, she bridled. The past was not her excuse for dropping out. Were you doing the two plus two plan? She asked. The two plus two was a common college route for the locals. Two years at a junior college, such as San Jacinto or Alvin, followed by two years at the modern, airy campus of the University of Houston at Clear Lake. I'm officially ending my junior year, he said. Where's your old man work? He... he doesn't. Amelia anticipated the disapproval, adding quickly, He used to work, out at the plants. He had an accident and they put him on permanent disability. He suffered a head injury and back injuries in the fall. 
Luckily, they had not tested him for drugs. He had gone to work high that day. Amelia later learned in those days that the hospitals only tested for drugs when ordered to. The insurance companies didn't pay when the patient had been drunk or stoned at the time of the accident. So it suited the hospital bill collectors to have a policy of not testing. Things would probably be different now. Tough break. You ever think about going back to school? <laughs> at my age? Lots of older students, especially at UCLIC. He said the school's abbreviation as UCLIC, like many of the students did. You still have time to get a degree, start a second career. This can't be where you intended to end up. He read quietly for a while and put his book back. Anyway, work calls. I'm off at four so I can get to class on time. He winked. No rest for the wicked. She sat for a while after he left, finishing her diet cola, thinking of Peter, sitting at home, listening to ordinary rocks sing. When she arrived home, Peter was sitting out back, with ten more stones before him. He had neatly lined them all up in two decades. His eyes were closed. He was softly singing. By the shadows, I lay dreaming. In the embrace of fog, I let myself go. Oh, my planning, my abandoned scheming. Lost me to the me I'd hoped to never know. Amelia had never heard Peter sing before, much less attempt rhyming verse. She put some food, crispy chicken tenders and fries, beside him. The decadent food odors wafted into the air. The cicadas began to buzz, high in the treetops. Food, she said. I'm not hungry, he replied, wearily opening an eye. These rocks sing so beautifully. I wish you could hear them. They know everything. You need to eat. No, I don't. All living things need to eat. Am I a living thing? Amelia, I mean, really, living. She was getting exasperated. It was like talking to a troublesome child. Yes, you are. I made the food especially for you. The least you can do is eat it. That poor chicken died for you to eat it. Guilt didn't work. He turned slightly towards her, both eyes dreamily open. Know how old our house is? No. It's one hundred and fifty years old. The rocks told you that? And do you know what? This house used to belong to a healing woman. A healing woman? Like a doctor? Not quite. 
She cured people with what she called the fast. Amelia didn't like the implications the reverent tone in his voice forebode. She took patients in and fed them almost nothing, he explained. Just tea, water, some broth. It drove the toxins out, like a modern spa. They feed you okay in a spa, Amelia guessed. She had never been to one, but she had seen late-night television programs on the spa's celebrities visited. This is better. No pretense. I think the lack of food is making you delirious. You're losing weight. I think that maybe some of the weed and acid stored in your fat is coming out. You need to eat. Weed and acid? <laughs> he laughed. Do you remember those days? Yes, Amelia thought bitterly. I do. Her family and friends had abandoned her because of his habits. They had an intervention, threatened to wash their hands of her if she wed him. They had all followed through on that threat. It was the worst thing they could have done for her. She suddenly missed people she had vowed never to miss. The toxins are coming out. Peter beamed, closing his eyes again and starting to hum. I think you need professional help, Amelia blurted. You're really messed up. Maybe. She went inside to make a cup of coffee to give herself time to think. She could hear him singing, his voice suddenly strong and sweet against the background of percussive cicadas, rhythmic crickets, and a chorus of frogs, carried by the soft bay wind. By the shadows, I lay dreaming in the embrace of fog. I let myself go. She caught her haggard reflection in the windows. Hadn't they been letting go all along? Kelly? Amelia asked, cleaning up the cooking area. You've lived in this area a long time, haven't you? All my life, he replied. Grease, cool enough to work with, was draining from the big cooker into a large pot. When it finished draining, he scoured the heating elements, removing debris that had baked on during the day. What do you know about an old story about a woman who healed people with fasting? I heard she lived in the area. Dr. Edith Huntsler? Kelly laughed. Lady Hunger? I, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. She supposedly lived at the turn of the century in one of the houses near the bay. No one remembers exactly which one, since a fire in the courthouse burned all the old deeds. May not even exist anymore, one thing's for sure. After she died, no one turned up claiming the old place. Why? Bad juju! Lady Hunger used to say that fasting could cure all ailments. She had a few success stories, probably people misdiagnosed, but 
plenty of people were never seen again after checking into her little hospital. The only way people really found out what was going on was when a farmer went out one night looking for a wayward cow and found a woman crawling through his fields. The woman was emaciated, almost starved completely to death. She'd dragged herself across the ground, unable to stand. She was desperate to escape the healing house. That brought on an inquiry. They hung Lady Hunger in a tree in her own backyard, back out by the bay. Supposedly her house is surrounded by the unmarked graves of her patients. They say she used rocks as grave markers. I'd never heard that before. It's a local legend. It's used to scare kids into eating their dinner. You know, if you were at Lady Hunger's house, you'd be happy for that broccoli. Sometimes I wonder if it ever happened at all. Why do you ask? Um, I heard a story, Amelia offered quickly. Are you all done with your yard work? For now. The wisteria is going to look gorgeous. You wait and see. He removed the pot of oil a safe distance away and lit a match to the heating elements. The residual oil lit up hot flames, burning away the dirt he couldn't get to. In moments, the flames died, having consumed their source of fuel. He lowered the cleaned element, sealing the oil drain again. Careful of the fat, he said. Still a little hot. I'll pour it back in a moment. He paused. You know, I just remembered something else about Lady Hunger. She used to sing to her dying victims as they wasted away. It's a creepy story to tell your kids when you think about it. Amelia had the sudden, awful thought that she knew exactly where Lady Hunger had lived. Then she checked her imagination. Peter had grown up in the area. He had heard these stories too. It's just the drugs, she thought. The chemicals are seeping out of his fat, making him remember the story, and his mother used to sing to him. He said so. Everything is getting all mixed up in his head. She poured herself a regular cola. She suddenly wanted the calories. There are worse things than being shaped like an apple. She shuddered. Peter looked terrible when she got home. He had surrounded himself with ten more stones, and he had sat out all day. She could tell by the bright, blazing red of his skin. His lips were parched. Small salt trails crept out of the corners of his eyes. Peter! She said. He brushed her away. Peter, what is happening to you? She demanded. She fixed him some ice-cold lemonade and brought out the aloe vera gel. You're burnt to a crisp! Have you been out here all day? He turned and looked at her with an icy stare. She shrugged it off. I brought you something to drink. You look like shit. He stayed on the porch, silent, saddened, and still. By midnight, she was exhausted, so she went to bed without saying goodnight to Peter. They had not truly shared a bed in years anyway. The accident hurt Peter's brain and his spine. Although he was mobile, he had trouble processing information, maintaining attention, and maintaining an erection. 
It had all become more bother than it was worth for them. The next morning, when she awoke to get ready for work, he was still sitting there. The lemonade was untouched except for happy mosquitoes, engorged with his blood, laying their eggs on its tranquil surface. Peter! She exclaimed, rushing outside. Have you been out here all night? You killed them, he said. What? You killed them. The rocks told me yesterday. How could you do that? Killed who? Peter, what is happening to you? You killed my babies, he stated, a sad rage in his eyes. When I was 27, and again when I was 29, he pointed to the 27th and 29th rocks. She thought back, doing math in her head, correlating years with long-hidden events. How did you find that out? She exclaimed, feeling oddly violated, shamed, and weightless all at the same time. She had never told him. She had never told anyone. There hadn't seemed much point. Two babies. You killed them both. A little boy, then a little girl. She shook her head, disbelieving. She had the abortions not knowing the genders of the babies. We were in no position to have kids. She defended her decision, so long her own hidden secret. You were dropping acid. I had no idea how healthy they would be. We were barely making it as it was. He cut her off, a sudden lull of queer tranquility crossing his sunburned face. We would be doing the laundry. Our son brought home from college now. And you'd be shopping for a prom dress with our daughter. Now would be a great time to have had those kids. You were stoned all the time. Kids would have made a difference. I would have quit. You're talking about things you don't know. The stones know, Amelia. They told me. We wouldn't have spent our entire lives as plankton, drifting along aimlessly. She was suddenly furious. I don't care what you think you hear the rocks saying. I don't care. Do you hear me, Peter? You were a stoner until you couldn't afford it anymore. Then the drugs stopped coming to you. You'd still be dropping acid if you could. Don't tell me you would have changed. You were a fucking loser then and you're a fucking loser now. She stopped herself. Just as the words tumbled out. He stared at her, blankly, like a statue with eyes, hollow inside, an elaborate lawn icon. She shook herself off. <sighs> I haven't had my coffee, she offered as an apology. 
I have to be in early today. I'm working a double. She dressed herself quickly while the coffee brewed, anxious to leave. Years of sadness and anger and doubt and shame stood on a precipice somewhere inside her, eager to jump off. She had to hold them back. She poured her coffee into a travel mug and left. Peter was still sitting on the back porch, looking at the stones that he tormented himself with. She cried as she drove to work. Was this what I ran away for? Was this what I gave my youth for? Was this all I really wanted? Her eyes showed that she had been crying, but no one asked if she was alright. It made her feel all the more discarded. She would have lied had anyone questioned, saying she felt fine. But in her heart, she just wanted someone to ask. By the end of the day, 12 hours of labor later, she ached. She drove home, not bothering to pick up food for Peter. She poured herself a Delaware punch for the trip home, hoping that it would give her some of the youthful vitality that played around Kelly's face and gave him the energy to trim reluctant wisteria. The lights of the house were exactly as she left them. She could see Peter's form sitting outside in the weathered lawn chair, the moths flying into the porch light with gleeful abandon. He had gathered twenty more stones, arranging them in a perfect circle around him, like a fanciful compass. She didn't bother going outside. She had no idea what she would say to him anymore. The next morning, he hadn't moved. She walked outside with some hesitation. She had tossed all night, composing various speeches to give him, some more kinder than others, some kinder to him, some kinder to her. It had been days since she had seen him even take a drop of water. That can't be good, she found herself worrying. She watched him as she approached. He didn't flinch as she moved in front of him. The bright golden sun of dawn, splashing clear, cleansing light over them both. He looks so tranquil, sitting there, she thought. Like being made of stone suits him. She touched his shoulder and felt his cold, rigid body beneath her fingertips. She was surprised that she didn't jump back. She just stood there, realizing he was dead. For an instant, she wondered when. During the night? Before I came home? She left him there, not sure what to do. At work, she was oddly calm and peaceful. Kelly sat down across from her in the break room after the lunch rush was over. How's things? He asked. Fine, she said, not lying. The old man? He's better now. You working late again? I close. I open tomorrow. That's a lot of hours. 
I'm saving the money. Anything in particular? Amelia smiled. I'm... I'm thinking of going back to school to finish my degree. Congratulations! See? Old dreams never die. He grabbed his drink and went back out to his duties. She wiped one involuntary tear away. Old dreams never die. And old nightmares. She could only hope those perished in time. She borrowed the shovel from the restaurant overnight, knowing no one would miss it. The ground was made of clay and difficult to dig, but she managed to make a deep enough, large enough hole for Peter's body. The water table lapped around the bottom of the grave, the bay lurking just beneath the ground. Amelia buried his body quietly, knowing it was highly unlikely anyone would ever ask where he was. She piled the stack of stones he had collected on top of him. She looked up at the tree that became his headstone, wondering if that was the tree Lady Hunger had swung from and wondered if she was the only person Lady Hunger may have ever actually saved. Amelia let the fanciful thought pass. Just children's stories, she told herself. It was just the drugs seeping out of Peter's dwindling fat. After work, she went out by the bay and sat on the edge of the new pier, watching children fish for crabs with little pieces of raw chicken dangling off lengths of string. The old pier was just visible, its pilings peeping above the gently lapping waves. There were other parts of the old pier submerged nearby. You had to know where they were to avoid wrecking on them. The wind ran its fingers through her hair, the stiff bay breeze bracing her face. She sat in the twilight of her decisions, feeling not quite alive, not quite dead. For an instant, she understood the wisteria. With its roots stabbed, thinking it had one last chance to bloom before it died. Then the gulls, soaring overhead, laughed at her. As she stood up, preparing to go home, she thought she heard something. She looked around. The children were down at the end of the pier. All that was near her were the rocks of the breakwater. The murky green water splashed against them, muffling the sound. She listened for an instant, remembering a music box her mother had bought her at the circus decades ago. It was a memory she had forgotten. The sad song locked away in the recesses of her mind suddenly awakened to awkward life. Amelia shivered and walked purposefully away. Although she would have sworn she heard the rocks of the breakwater singing, by the shadows I lay dreaming In the embrace of fog I let myself go All my planning My abandoned scheming Lost me to the 
Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Laura, for sharing this lovely book with us. Um, I will be reading at least one other story from Laura's book as well in uh, an upcoming episode. So look forward to that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this week's story. Thanks so much for all of your participation. Thanks so much for everyone who called in last week. Um, Follow the show on Twitter, Tumblr. Um, Nope, not Tumblr. I don't think I have a Tumblr anymore. That just came out of my mouth. (laughs) Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook. There's a Reddit, I think, as well that I don't keep up with. Um, And yeah, there's a new... Oh, also, I've, I've mentioned before that there was a subgroup of the Facebook group called Scare You to Eat which is a food group and uh, someone who is, has been an author on the show, James Bowden started scare you to craft, which is a crafting group. You can find the link in the main Facebook group. So if you are a crafter of any kind or just a fan of crafts, um, go ahead and join that. It's a lot of fun. It's brand, brand new. So yeah, get in on the ground floor. Um, I believe that's all. Next week, I'm going to have kind of a treat for the next two weeks. It's going to be a two-part episode. So part one will be out next week. I'm really excited for. Um, I won't give any spoilers, of course, but there was one scene in particular that, oh man, I, I haven't been able to shake out of my brain. It, <laughs> I, If you are one of those people who is afraid to look into mirrors or windows, like anything reflective at night, then this is going to terrify you. I'm so excited. Um, so yeah, I don't have much news. Uh, some cool stuff's coming up. Like I've been saying before. Um, I think I can tell you by the end of, I think I may have already told you, I can't remember. I've been slowly releasing this cause I haven't been wanting to make any huge announcements yet, but by the end of September, um, the show will be back on all platforms again. And, the Patreon will be back up and I'm going to be venturing into things like YouTube. I'm really excited. I'm going to be growing in different directions and there's a new show that I have in mind that I really can't wait to do. Um, I have a co-host in mind and I'm trying to bully her into doing it with me because I think she would be fantastic. Um, so fingers crossed that my bullying tactics work. Um, cause you're all, you would all love her. You would all love her. Um, so also there is a new show, a mini series that will be coming out in around the Halloween season. And that one is with a very big company. So, and I have not been told, Hey, you can tell everybody about it yet. So I'm not going to do that because I don't know if I can tell you yet, but it will be coming out around the Halloween season. I think you're all really going to like it. I'm very very excited about this project. It's um, a very intimidating project. I'm really hoping I do okay. So send me good vibes on that. Send me bullying vibes for one podcast and good vibes for the other podcast. Um, Anyway, I hope you're all having a great week. Um, I am going to a food festival on Saturday that I'm very excited about. It's called Foodie Land. Um, It happens at, or I think they'd have it in a few different places, but here in LA, it's at the Rose Bowl. And it's going to be all weekend. And I love food so much. I'm so excited. So that's what I'm doing this weekend. Uh, What are you all doing this weekend? I hope you're having a lovely weekend, even if it's just relaxing and not doing a single thing that brings you any stress. Um, So yeah, I'm going to let you go. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Go get some sleep. 
drink your water, and sweet dreams.